Welcome to Sermons from the Edge, a ministry of the Edge Church in Winona, Minnesota, a place where it's okay to not be okay, where you can come and you belong just as you are, no matter what you're facing. We pray this message will be a blessing to you. And he has given us this commandment, those who love God must also love believers. There's a lot of love in the Bible, isn't there? This morning our passage is going to be from Romans chapter 10, or excuse me, Romans chapter 12. And in this passage, Paul is writing, he says, Be there in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be hopeful in, be joyful in, in affliction, faithful in prayer. All those things sound really, really good. As I read them, uh, now we have all this context for love, <coughs> hope, joy, all those things. Be zealous in our faith. What does that even mean? What does that even mean this morning? As we think about our, our, our faith in God, how we interact with each other, what does that mean? That how faith, this morning I want to talk a little bit about how faith and life have to collide at some point, at some place, somehow in our life. If we're going to be a true follower of Christ, faith and actions have to collide. I can't just say that I love people and I'm a Christ follower. There has to be action that follows that up. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning. (coughs) Excuse me. Number one, it starts with a decision. Our text again says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Uh, Need special instructions when it comes to uh, being devoted to things like candy or ice cream. Do you need instructions like this is how you become devoted to ice cream? How about, how about this is probably more, more fitting. How many of you need to have written instructions about being devoted to coffee? Not really, do we? Most of the time we, we need instructions about how to be devoted to good food. Not necessarily. We don't need instructions for those things, but there's this aspect that Paul is saying, listen, (coughs) Paul is instructing us to do something that doesn't come naturally. Be devoted to one another in love. In other words, uh, he's commanding us, this is what you need to do. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to follow Christ, here's what you need to do. Because whenever there's a command, there's also a choice that we have to make, isn't there? He says, be devoted to one another in love. Okay, well, I have to feel like, if I, I have to decide whether I want to do it. Do I feel like doing that? Do I feel like being devoted? When you, when you have a, a, a stressful conversation with your spouse, do you feel like being devoted at that point? When you're, when you're telling your child for the 23rd time to feel like being devoted at that time, or do you just feel angry? There's a choice that comes into this when we, when we have to be devoted. Paul contrasts the life what it was like to be a, before, crush, before we became a Christian and what it's like now. He says this in Galatians chapter 5, when you follow the desires of the sinful nature, the results are very clear. And he lists all these different results of the sinful nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and all other sins alike. Let me tell you again, Paul says, as I have before, that anyone living in that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
that's quite a list. And when you look at that list, it's on the screen there. I want you to look at it because there's 15 different worlders that he lists. And of that 15, eight of those 15 actually involve how we interact with other people. It's almost like Paul is saying, listen, this is so important that half of the things that are from the sinful nature, we have to leave those things behind as it relates to other people. Loving one another is a decision. Honoring each other doesn't necessarily come naturally to us. Faith, faith and life collide when we make a decision to honor people. Honoring, real honoring, <coughs> secondly, real honoring is going to cost you something. Real honoring, when we honor people, it's going to cost us something. When I leave the baseball game and somebody wants to get in in, in the line of cars going out of the, the ballpark uh, and there's, there's, this, there's this, uh, this zipper merge. Are you guys familiar with the zipper merge? Not very many people in Winona are, so I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> when we want a zipper merge, there's a cost to me because I don't like letting people merge in front of me, right? We don't necessarily enjoy that. I, I'd rather, much rather just put my front bumper right at the back bumper of the person in front of me and keep my eyes straight ahead and not look to the side and see the people that are trying to zipper merge. If we're going to honor people, there actually is a, a cost to that. There's an expense. Honoring has a real cost. <clears throat> when, we put our, when we put our spouse first for a, long, for a long time, we begin to feel like I'm losing you ever sensed that? Like, well, I've done this and I've done this and I've, I, I gave it area and, and we don't necessarily want to share the scorecard with our spouse, but when it gets so bad that we feel like I'm losing the game, then we have to say, well, well, I gave that point, I gave in that, I gave, you should be able to give up in this point. Real honoring doesn't do that. It actually costs us something. Here's an example for you. How many of you have ever gone to a wedding that you didn't feel like attending? I'll just, we'll just make this a, a question that you don't have to raise your hand, even though if you want to, you can. How many of us have ever been in that situation where, man, it's a beautiful day. I just, yeah, it's just, I, I've thought about this a lot as a pastor. I, I'm on the other side of this. And I think back to when my wife and I got married 30 years ago, and we were so incredibly inconsiderate of everybody else. I mean, we, we put our wedding at the, the middle of the day. Uh, it was a smoking hot day, and we had our wedding in a, in a, a non-air-conditioned environment that was a fourth the size of what we needed for the people we had invited. You know, everybody that came was not, I mean, they didn't have chairs in the middle like this, and they were right up against each other on a hot day. We had people crammed in the basement. We had people in this little tiny balcony that, you know, all the heat rises, so you can imagine what that was like. We were so incredibly inconsiderate, and then we, we did what a lot of people still do. We decided we, we don't want to see each other before the wedding, so there was all the pictures to take after the wedding. Isn't that such a blessing? You know, you go to a wedding and you're like, ah, oh, this is, I really don't want to be there because, you know, I didn't ask you for a response, but you're there and then, you know, the blessing is you get to see the wedding and then after the blessing, the pastor like myself gets up and says, hey, we're so glad you came uh, today. Uh, we're glad to hear the reception, yada, yada, yada. Uh, the reception is going to start in about 23 hours because we have pictures to take. <laughs> and you're going, come on. And then you get to the reception finally and they serve you something you don't like to eat. You're like, really? 
Seriously, we're going to have filet mignon again? Come on. But what do we do? There's a, there's a level of respect. Hopefully, you don't complain about those things at the wedding or to the bridal party. And there's a level of honor that's built into that. And so what do we do? We conform to those things, right? Hopefully, we honor them and we, we, we celebrate the day with them. But that's not always the way that we feel. But again, sometimes honoring costs us something, doesn't it? Look at other passages on this topic. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of, other, of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. How many of you pretty surely, are pretty sure that you know it all? How many of you figure, have figured out that not everybody wants to know that you know it all? Sometimes honoring is just keeping your mouth shut, right? It's going to cost me something. Sometimes, especially in family life, I think as I get older, I realize that I probably have all the right answers if people just wanted to listen to me and if they would listen when I speak to them. But by, by not speaking all those right answers all the time, I feel like I'm actually honoring them. And they're, they're very appreciative. And guess what? When I do that, our family life is so much better. Honoring sometimes costs us something. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is, this is a, a familiar passage. I talked about weddings. You hear this one often in the context of weddings. Uh, the love chapter. Love is patient and kind. This is what love is. This is how we honor people. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Honoring, when we honor somebody, it's going to cost us something. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and always endures through every circumstance. Honoring will cost us something. The third thing about is about the, the collision, this collision of life and faith, and how does the more insecure I am, the harder it becomes to honor other people. My insecurities are going to make it hard for me to honor other people, is really what that means. You know what, if, if I'm at the grocery store and, and a seven-year-old jumps in line in front of me in the checkout lane, and I've been waiting there, and a seven-year-old jumps in, you know what, I'm like, it's just a kid. Aren't they cute? Oh, they're buying candy. That's awesome. Mom probably sent them for milk, but they brought M&Ms. That's cool. Nice. Good job, buddy. You go in front of me. If the same situation happens and Tom jumps in front of me, that's not the same. <laughs> that's not the same. Uh, our own insecurities uh, become, make it harder for us. This last at a funeral, I had a, a friend named Mitch that his wife, Joan, uh, found out on, on May 10th that she had cancer, and on May 25th she died. And so this last week was her funeral. A bunch of us, I, I ride motorcycle with Mitch, he's a pastor, but we do the prayer zone tour thing in the fall. We pray for all the different, uh, all the schools in Minnesota. Uh, we ride our motorcycles, pray over every school, and there's a whole group of us. That, long story, but Mitch is one of those people. And so there's a group of us that are our friends motorcycle friends, and we ride together for many, many years. And so a bunch of that group got together, and we decided we're going to ride our motorcycles to the funeral. And so we literally came from the four corners of Minnesota and, and joined together, and it was a, a morning funeral. And so a friend of mine from Rochester and I rode up the night before. 
we were going to get a hotel, and then we thought, oh, wait, there's a person that is in our group that lives in that area. Let's just call and see if they'll let us crash in their basement. And I'm thinking, like, crash in their basement, like, there's couches, probably carpeted. We'll throw it on a sleeping bag. It'll be fine. Um, let me step aside from that story for a second. When I was called to ministry as a kid, uh, I was nine years old when I felt like God called me into occupational ministry. And I'll, I'll be honest, it was not like a, oh, this is going to be so cool. Uh, I didn't want to do it. I honestly didn't want to do it. I thought God would, had missed the, missed the calling. I was a shy kid. Even throughout high school, I, I did terrible in speech classes. I just, everything about me being in full-time ministry was wrong. Uh, but the biggest thing that, I, that, that held me back is I grew up in a pastor's home. And my, pa- my dad pastored, my whole life he pastored, but he always pastored church fourth of the size of the edge, if not smaller. I mean, on a good Sunday, we had 30 people in church. Uh, on a winter Sunday, there might be five, and four of them were our, were our family. And you can imagine there wasn't a lot of money in that situation. And so that was, the, that was the challenge for me. I'm like, I don't, that's not the American dream. I don't, I don't like want to go to college forever and and end up getting, being in ministry and not making any money. And so I really struggled with that. And uh, I've come to the point where I had, to, I had to just realize this is God's calling. It's not about money. But that in my early days, my youth, uh, was a real stumbling block for me as far as being in ministry. And I decided I am not going to allow this to be an impact or have an impact on my ministry. We're going to go where God calls us. It doesn't matter what the finances are. God's going to be faithful. We're going to live by faith. So coming back to the story about the funeral, I'm thinking, we're thinking this is just going to be a cool little like overnight. We're going to get there a little bit later in the evening. Um, We're going to sleep in the basement. We'll get up and we'll go, go to this funeral. We'll be fine. Well, we get there and my my friend that I was riding with from Rochester knew these people better than I do, but we get there and we're, we're getting close to where we're going to stay and there's lakes everywhere in central Minnesota, Wilmer area. There's lakes everywhere. Beautiful, beautiful lakes, beautiful homes. Uh, and I'm just thinking, well, this is, you know, it's cool. I love riding through this stuff. We're going to get to Wilmer and just find this normal Rambler-style house in the city, and it'll be fine. We pull into this house, and it's, 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 it's a mansion is the best way I can describe it. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was huge. It had a three-car garage. It was brick. It's uh, landscaped with all kinds of uh, uh, shrubbery and the grass looks like it's mowed every other day. And I mean, it was, it was like something you would see in magazines, literally. And we drove into the, 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 the garage and parked our bike and uh, you know, the, the garage is all finished and painted and it looks amazing. And there's tools that are all lined up and everything you can imagine. And I look over on one side and there's this human, humongous toolbox that I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm in heaven. It just, and it, it just kept getting better as we walked through this house. It was literally a mansion. They bought this house uh, as a lake cabin and then they retired and they fixed it up and they totally redid the whole thing. It looks over a lake. There's a path, a brick or block pathway down to the lake. There's a, a speedboat in the, in the lake on a lift. There's a, a, a hot, hot tub right on. It was just, I was just like, wow, this is crazy. And, and I get to stay here. And they literally had bedrooms in the basement that looked better than almost every hotel I've ever stayed in. And I'm, I'm walking through this and, and I was thinking uh, in that moment, God, thank you so much that this stuff, is not as important to me as it used to be. 
And I literally, I've come to, come to this point where uh, even in my insecurity that I used to have, uh, I have almost become secure in that when I see things like that, I can very authentically walk up uh, to those people and say, you know what, you have a gorgeous house. God has blessed you so amazingly. Do you realize the blessing of God on your life? Do you realize, and, and it, it's an authentic thing. It's not like, oh, I wish I had this. It doesn't, in fact, in, in that situation, as I was thinking about it and looking at it more, I'm like, oh God, I'm so glad I don't own this house because there's so much work to do right here. Uh, but it's that thing, that, that insecurities. The more insecure I am, the harder it is to become or for me to honor others. Uh, we have to be careful about securities in our faith. Look at this situation with Jesus. I think that, that the security that Jesus had helped him to do something. The mindset of Jesus as he washed the disciples' feet, I think is, it's very significant and it's something we don't think about often. But look at with me at John chapter 13. Jesus says Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So, again, think about what this is saying. Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything. So, because of that, in light of that, the situation was because Jesus knew that now, it says he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water in a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. I think that's significant. Jesus knew who he was. He knew his position in the room. And so, because he was secure in that, he was willing to take the lowest position in the room. Washing the people's feet was the job of the servant as they walked into the room, and it hadn't been done. And so Jesus, knowing who he was, knowing this is not my job, because of that, he was willing to say, okay, listen, I'm going to be the servant. We have to know who we are. The more insecure I am, the harder it is to become or to honor other people. The third thing, the reward for honoring others comes later. Again, all of this stuff goes back to our passage in, in Romans. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. All these things. The reward for honoring others comes later. You know, it's, it's easy to honor other people or when, when you know that there's people watching. It's easy to, to say, oh, I appreciate you so much when I know that you're all watching me. Because I know you're looking at that situation like, oh, isn't that nice to Pastor Chuck? And you're thinking nice things about me. And Pastor Chuck, oh, you're so amazing. It's easy in that situation. But what about when that's not happening? Or maybe it's easy to honor people when they're grateful for it. Have you ever honored, shown honor to someone where they, they just kind of thumb their nose at you and walk away? And you're standing like, dude, did you not, did not see what I just did to you or helped you with or blessed you in it's easy in those situations but the reality is our honoring or our the reward for our honoring actually comes later first peter chapter four and when the chief shepherd appears peter is saying when the chief shepherd which is jesus the lamb of god the the shepherd uh, when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away 
It's interesting. We're doing a study in the book of Revelations. It's the second time I've been through it in the last year or so. Did it on a Friday morning, and now we're doing it on Wednesday. We're talking about the end time stuff, obviously, in Revelation. And when this verse says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory. That's, an, that's a, a pointer to when Jesus returns for the second coming. Okay? That's what that's indicating, that when he returns, you will receive an, a crown of glory. glory. In other words, for Peter, who's writing this passage in 1 Peter 5, that still has not happened for him. Do you realize that? He's been dead for over, well, close to 2,000 years, and he's still awaiting that crown of glory. Do you see what I'm saying? Peter's like, I did all this stuff, Lord. Look at, thing, look at the things Peter did. He preached on the day of Pentecost. He, he, he was in, instrumental in the beginning of the New Testament church, the church as we know it. Did all these things, wrote books of the New Testament. <clears throat> and still to this day, Peter is awaiting his crown of glory. Re, our reward for honoring others will come later. Not today, not maybe next week, not even necessarily when we die. Unless we don't die and God comes, the Holy Spirit send, or God sends Jesus to, to pick us up in the second coming, and that's going to be amazing. We're going to get that crown of glory right away. But for all of the people that have lived in faith up to this point, they still haven't received it. Does that mean they didn't honor? Does that mean they don't deserve it? Absolutely not. But we have to get past this idea that when I honor somebody, I'm going to be rid immediately. That's not necessarily part of the part of this situation. The next part of that, and I'm going to have to rush through this a little bit, I apologize. Maybe worship team, if you want to come, uh, that'll help me move along. How's that? <laughs> uh, the next part of that says faith, uh, faith meeting life requires a maintained level of spiritual zeal. Again, let me go back to our text for just a second. It says, honor one another above yourself, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. How do you do that? How in the world do you keep zeal in your life? How do we not let our faith grow cold, we'll say, or drift in our zeal or zealousness for Christ? Zeal doesn't always show up in our actions. Zeal doesn't always show up in our emotions. It always shows up in our actions. I'm going to have to go through this quickly, but, but stick with me on this one especially. Zeal doesn't always show up in our emotions, it always shows up in our actions. I may not feel a zealousness for God, but it, my actions are what, what counts. Ultimately, the proof of zeal is found in serving the Lord, not in feeling good about the Lord. You might have a, a heart for worship and be expressive and dance before the Lord and be zealous in your worship, but that's not necessarily being zealous for God overall. Because I can be very passionate in my worship on a Sunday morning when the band is playing and you're singing and the room is full of a great voice. I can be very passionate or zealous in that moment, but the true test of faith is how do I walk outside? What does my life look like on Tuesday morning when I'm tired and I have to go to work again? Zeal is such an important thing. Never be lacking in zeal, Romans 12 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Micah 6, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, walk humbly with your Lord. James chapter 
1, it says, look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted, polluted from the, word, the world. Our actions are important. We get what we pursue. You're talking about having zeal for God. You actually get what you pursue. If you passionately focus on something, that's what you're going to get. The Bible makes that clear. The last thing, and I'm going to end with this. <clears throat> when it comes to maintaining a level of spiritual zeal, when life gets tough, choose to pray. It's probably the most important thing you can hear this morning. When life gets tough, choose to pray. Choose. Doesn't necessarily come naturally. We've all been through hardships and trials and loss. We've all been through different things in our life, but when life gets tough, choose to pray. And when we do that, we're actually seeking God. We're actually inviting Him into the situation we're in. And we're asking, Lord, would you have control in this situation? The Bible says, cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. When life gets tough, we choose to pray. And, and honestly, that's an indicator of our zeal for God. You know what? If, I don't, if you don't, if there's any value in prayer, you're not going to pray. If you don't feel like God is able to be influential in your life or in your situation, why would you pray? But when we have problems and we pray, when we choose to pray, we're literally saying, God, I still have faith in you. I don't, I don't feel it. I'm not even 100% sure of anything but I still choose to come to you. And let's be honest, sometimes when we come to God and that's the last thing we can do, that's all we need to do. Because it says when we cast our cares on Him, that He cares for us. So in all of this, how do we, how do we love? How do we, how do we do all these things? Well, it's a choice. And at the end of the day, it really is just choosing God. Because we already know He's chosen us and He's just waiting for us. How many times do we, we go through all the steps of trying to figure out life and how can I manipulate this situation? How can I massage these relationships? How can I make this look like what I want it to look like? And we go through all of those things and then we realize, you know, sometimes that might work a little bit. But in the end, ultimately, it's only God that can actually change things. So I choose to pray. Father, I just pray this morning that you would help each of us. Help us to be better at loving, at maintaining a level of passion and zeal and hunger for you. Lord, help us to be like you. We clearly see that love is a huge thing in the Bible. Love is a huge thing when it comes to our faith. Love for other people. But Lord, I, I pray this morning as we end that particularly in You've our been listening to A Sermon from the Edge, a ministry of the Edge Church in Winona, Minnesota. If the Lord has spoken to your heart through this message, we would love to hear about it. 
Contact information is available at winonaedge.org. Thanks for listening.